I've seen at each level, at the patient level, the provider level, at the payer level, as well as the broad practice level, how measurement-based care can ultimately affect change. Thank you for coming back to another Meeting of the Minds. And if this is your first time here, we look at the intersection between behavioral health, digital health, healthcare strategy, policy. We look at those, uh, we, we look at those intersections to identify things that you can take back to your organizations, whatever capacity that you're in. And today we're going to be talking about something extremely important because when we think about all these strategies and innovations that we have from a care perspective, clinical perspective, or digital perspective, uh, they all have to add up to something. They all have to uh, inform future strategy. And how do we do that? A concept called measurement-based care. So here to discuss uh, measurement-based care is uh, Dylan Ross. Thank you, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh to sit down and talk about such an important topic. Thank you so much. And for folks watching, uh, we have talked about how we, how we should have this conversation and we want it to be actionable for people of all levels. So there might be, there, there, uh, Dylan, uh, you gave a stat last year that about what uh, measurement-based care, as nice as it sounds to be measurement-based and data-driven and everything like that, only about 17% of organizations are actually using that, correct? Yeah, the, the research varies, but uh, it seems like the most agreed upon numbers are 19% of psychiatrists, so physician level care providers, 11% of psychologists, clinical level, uh, PhD level psychologists, and likely anywhere between 5 to 2% of master's level clinicians uh, report practicing the use of standardized clinical measurement or measurement-based care. I would argue that in the master's ranks, um, it's likely less. And more broadly, um, when we think about the kind of formal definitions of measurement-based care, uh, more times than not, it's routine outcomes collection, um, but not necessarily the fidelity-based practice of incorporating those standardized clinical uh, information into case, conceptualizing, case conceptualization, as well as um, making informed clinical decisions within the course of care to adjust treatment plans uh, and really kind of dial in what's going to be best for that patient using that information. So um, again, broadly, this is uh, woefully underpracticed in the field and uh, a significant area of opportunity as well as uh, an area of passion for me personally. Fantastic. And, and we're really hoping to dig deeper into that passion what you've seen beforehand and what uh, what you ultimately learned and, and what drives you down uh, down this path. And I hope that uh, people listening can uh, like they they hear the points that you were making about it and hear about the significant underutilization. We actually wanted to get into that, too, because uh, just with respect to clinicians and all of the things that you're asked to do by uh, by your organizations, it does feel like there's a possibility that if this isn't implemented correctly, if this isn't communicated correctly, then that could be the, the, the cause for like a, a lack of adoption of these methods, right? Completely. Um, I mean, when we think about the facilitators and barriers to the practice of measurement-based care, or even just the implementation of measurement-based care, many of these are just kind of base level practical things. And so thinking just in a pragmatic fashion, talking with frontline patient-facing uh, care teams, it comes down to, is the collection of this information easy? 
So thinking about administrative burden in terms of collection. Oftentimes, if there are screeners, um, they're filed somewhere within the depths of a, a multi-page packet at intake, where there's just a laundry list of um, paper-based questions that we're asking the, the family or the individual to fill out. Those are often then scanned into electronic medical record, or it's required for duplicative data entry. So there's a lot of inefficiencies around how we collect this information. Now, there has been obviously some great advances around how technology can support this type of information capture and ultimately be ported into and stored in a discrete fashion, electronic medical records. But the realities of just collecting it, making sure that it is stored in a discrete fashion, meaning you know each key piece of information is stored in a way that can be either um, you know accessed uh, in you know by that clinician or you know, by the organization itself to pull that information in aggregate. But long story short, um, yeah, th there's just real world um, friction points around collection. In terms of practice too, as we think about the pipelines in which we train our mental health workers in this country, there are uh, just so many different types of uh, clinical training programs at the master's level, at the doctorate level, even in the kind of um, technician level. Each one has a point of view. Um, and when we think about accreditation and standardizing that, um, huge opportunity to drive um, a better kind of, you know, um, unity around how we talk about and train towards collection, not to mention then as you step forward into clinical licensure. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I think the, the important point is that we do not have a prepared workforce today to ultimately step into this evidence-based practice and do it in a way that is meaningful and ultimately drives outcomes and moves the needle that matters most. There's one thing that you, that you said a little bit earlier that I, I can't get out of my head. Like I, I'm, I'm excited by the fact that you said it, but you, you said that you're, you're passionate about this process. And you know, a, a lot of people, especially if, if, if you're practicing and things like that, a lot of people like might look at these things as like data collection exercise and things like that. But could you talk about uh, uh, what's driven uh, your, your, your way down this path and how and how and why you're passionate about it now? I had the opportunity both to work for Optum Behavioral Health within the payer space, saw the, the criticality of, of why measurement matters when looking at a you know, network of over you know, a half million behavioral health providers. And then even before that, um, practicing as a therapist myself for Kaiser Permanente, working at a national level, working to implement measurement-based care and oversee its maturation within a clinical context. And so from practicing it myself to um, trying to implement it and improve it, as well as to manage teams that were really encouraged to practice this. I've seen at each level, at the patient level, the provider level, at the payer level, as well as the broad practice level, how measurement-based care can ultimately affect change. Um, so the passion comes back ultimately around wanting to improve our mental health care system uh, for those that need it most. And um, like many, I came to this field uh, with a personal story in terms of my own family. Uh, my mother, uh, others within my family have really struggled with mental health um, for a good part of their life. And I've seen the failings and shortcomings of the system. Um, when stepping into a professional setting, I, I was just shocked at how some of the simplest, most simple questions were really hard to answer, such as, did my patient get better? 
or is this population of patients getting better? Wow. And so thinking about, um, you know, forgive the overused analogy, but um, mental health, behavioral health, substance use, we don't have vital signs in the same way that we do for physical health. If you have hypertension, um, you've got blood pressure. If you have diabetes, you have, you know, um, glucose levels in terms of blood, your, um, your A1C and the like. Um, if it's obesity, you have weight. There are objective ways to measure baseline and change over time. And so at best, our field has created patient-reported outcomes, meaning validated tools where we ask patients to answer questions reflective of both symptomology, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, um, looking at overall function and functioning, uh, well-being, and, and the like. And so as a proxy in the absence of vital signs, we use this patient-provided uh, information in a structured way, uh, in a systematic way, to collect that information over time. So back to the question of kind of around passion. Um, all of this sounds really academic, and I realize that. Um, but practicing measurement-based care myself, really coming into the field without being trained, I, I had no formal training in measurement-based care, yet also held a clinical license at the master's level. Um, I hold a PhD as an organizational psychologist, so also had this kind of broader system level view. But, but back to it, it wasn't until I started practicing the use of using these types of, uh, of measures and collecting that information and bringing it into the session with the patient that I saw, it sounds a little cheesy, but the, the, the magic of what can happen. There's a, a point of validation for the patient as well as there's a lot of subjectivity to how you know, psychotherapy is delivered. Just to kind of cast a light on history here, I mean, talk therapy as we know it today hasn't changed much since uh, the 1880s. Mm. And um, as we think about that evolution, there's interesting kind of structures of power differential, the, the kind of white coat effect of like who's the expert, who needs help, and who's the care provider. And so there is this kind of um, leveling that can occur when you start to take steps towards a bit more uh, objectivity within the subjective context. And so um, I myself as a practitioner found it extremely helpful when I was in those times of doubt in terms of, are we making progress? <laughs> is this patient getting, is my patient getting better? Um, to be able to look to these types of patient reported outcomes. And so, also, too, just the seeing its impact on the consumer, the patient, the client side. Um, you know, if, if anybody's had the experience in therapy themselves of coming in and just feeling a bit muddled in terms of where I am with my depression, where I am my, perhaps with my you know, anxiety or my, my relationship issues, it's that snapshot of time. And so when we think about how limiting it is that as the clinician, you're only, the only available information more times than not, back to the numbers of just underutilization of the practice, you, you only have what the patient brings in in that 50 minute session, if we're talking typical outpatient, um, to work with. And so to be able to collect this information, not only either right before or within a session, but also within and between sessions, track and trend change over time, and then ultimately apply all of the upside of using data in new and novel ways 
again, back to kind of that leveling within the system, patient level, provider level, and practice level, and population level. And so all of a sudden, when you, you have numbers, you know, um, the old adage, you can't improve what you don't measure. Mm -hmm. This is one of those situations that when you have that bolus of data, that all, the, all of a sudden there is an opportunity to drive different types of change and measure its impact on uh, the ultimate care process. Great, and, and the, the, your answer hit on something really important, which is uh, a lot of people might look at uh, what happens in, for example, electronic medical records, and especially in, in other modalities as like data collection exercises that have no value for themselves, no value for the patient. Uh, you, in, 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 fr in framing this, like, you know, a, a lot of times I'll, I'll hear conversations about what's the ROI for the uh, facility or for the, for the organization. But you pointed to something that was a uh, return uh, on uh, a return for the patient's time. Uh, like a, a lot of people give up their data uh, for, for various uses, but they get nothing back from it. But the picture that you painted is different than that. It's interesting, you know, I've, I've worked in a model before where we would collect information in this way, um, oftentimes paper and pencil, other times through, you know, app-based collection, um, where it was really unidirectional. And we were asking uh, the consumer, the patient, the client to provide information on, on how are they doing today. And when you break that feedback loop, it, it really changes the dynamic. And there's actually interesting research out there that points to, um, it's actually the inverse, <laughs> that if we only provide that information to the patient themselves, that we actually see a significant lift, even if the clinician isn't using it. And so th there is this kind of validating effect where providing mile markers of change, especially when it's change that can be oftentimes a bit blurry or um, subjective to the patient around, am I getting better or not, is really, really helpful. And it can not only uh, motivate and activate patients, engage them in new and novel ways, but to see progress, at the end of the day, it helps the care process outright. Um, and you, you mentioned electronic medical records. I, I think it's, it's also interesting to consider from an administration or an organizational kind of perspective, um, how this is really sensitive information. And not only for patients, of course, but for the workforce. And, um, you know, there's a lot of strong beliefs around the mechanisms of change within therapy. Um, I bet if you pulled a room of 10 various uh, level clinicians, um, eight to nine out of 10 would say, Above all else, even above evidence-based practice, the relationship is the most important thing to, to ultimately affecting some sort of change in therapy. Um, and, and so there is this strong autonomy and a sense of ownership of clinicians around the, the care that they provide and how they provide it, as well as a strong sense of ownership of that relationship. And so the minute that you start to take what ultimately is at times seen as a black box, the minute that door closes and they're in the session room, a patient, a client, a, a consumer, and, and the clinician, it's just the two of them. And to start making that a bit more transparent at times can feel um, 
a bit vulnerable for the clinicians, as well as, you know, I think real invalid senses of distrust between, say, administration or even the organization around, how are you going to use this, this data? Are you going to look at how effective my care is in terms of me compared to another clinician? And it starts to invite a lot of questions around how this information is used. So when we think about implementing measurement-based care, which is a very strong and powerful evidence-based practice, it's really important to consider the change management aspects and ensuring that those that are going to be practicing this use are involved from day one in understanding from top to bottom the why, mm -hmm. um, even more so than the how. And, um, and really creating that contract of understanding within an organization and care team of trust and some of the boundaries around how this information can be used. All right, so, so as we're talking about this, uh, this measurement-based care, you brought up a return for a patient and it, it's like, at least in the data that I've seen, and this is just purely from a digital health, health perspective, but we actually see that uh, people uh, really like to see how they're, uh, how they're trending over time with regards to their uh, behavioral health measures uh, just within an app perspective. Uh, but curious about uh, like that that return that we, we that is for the patients clear. But how are you getting clinicians involved, and how are you engaging them in a way like what's the change management approach that that you have in mind for these efforts for clinicians? So how we engage um, a new set of clinicians that may be naive to the the practice of measurement based care, I think is is important and needs to be intentional. I would argue that most therapists, clinicians, patient-facing roles within a clinical team, they really, from a patient-centricity standpoint, they want to see their patients get better. There's a professionality as well that is within this context, that clinicians really see themselves as that professional, and so continued professional development. And a gathering point between both what is of value to the patient and what is perceived to be of value by the care team uh, or that therapist oftentimes comes down to let's work together to get the most effective outcomes in the shortest period of time. Um, said another way, how can we reduce the suffering? And so I think coming at it from a humanistic perspective is really important. You know, while not all data and research is the most um, convincing, uh, it is a, a good point in terms of looking at, we find that when measurement-based care is practiced, especially practiced with fidelity, not only do clinicians pick up more reliably on a lack of treatment and response earlier, but they're also empowered to have those signals through measurement-based care to ultimately empower them to make treatment changes sooner, sooner within a care episode. Said another way, it's really starting to look at use of validated tools, systematic collection, collection of patient-reported outcomes, compared to just clinical judgment alone. And the, the evidence is extremely clear that there's an over-appraisal by most clinicians, uh, and they over-index on clinical judgment when they can invite in an additional data source and actually make changes sooner, um, make care more efficient, uh, and ultimately, more times than not, achieve what the patient feels, their patient, 
is most important to them, which is achieve my treatment goals uh, and symptom reduction, oftentimes increased functioning in the shortest period of time possible. And so there's, there is this kind of meeting of the minds in terms of kind of the orientation of how of patient centricity, the, the continued development of honing one's practice in a continual fashion, and ultimately being able to be more effective in, in the most efficient amount of time. And, and oftentimes, those, um, those are, in essence, saleable points to the frontline teams. But I will say this, um, you know, I often would have conversations with my teams, you know, don't take it from me. And it really comes down to kind of, um, you know, attraction, not promotion. Mm -hmm. And if, if I can find a single provider within a team or clinic that is practicing this, there is this moment of aha, and when it clicks, and, and they realize how powerful this practice can be in helping them help their patients, that voice becomes uh, ultimately the most uh, important one in terms of scale and spread, because that peer-to-peer -peer collegial um, kind of promotion is really what will uh, help drive uh, earlier adoption, um, not administration alone. Very important point because uh, uh, who would want to make the change if there's not some validated way, be it through if, if, if nobody else in the organization is doing it yet, then understanding like some of the uh, literature around it or like the more powerful example, I think is, uh, you know, based like, like somebody makes that data driven decision and then it starts changing their practice that serves as a light uh, for others. And the other piece too, you know, so often we're, you know, measurement based care embraces the use of, of validated tools that are really focused on kind of sickness symptoms. Mm -hmm. Best practices also incorporate questions around um, therapeutic alliance or the patient's experience of the relationship or the treatment process. And so inviting in a different kind of word that is um, within kind of a similar lexicon, feedback-informed care, mm. has done a lot in terms of bringing in this kind of meta-level conversation around, here's the work that we're doing together around your fill-in-the-blank, mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, relationship issues, and the list goes on. But then there's also the, the structured use of, um, you know, to what extent do you believe that um, we're focusing on your treatment goals? You know, uh, how comfortable do you feel, you know, talking about things within session with your, I, I mean, the, the list is, is many in terms of asking the patient to provide a perspective on the care process. As a therapist myself, using that information, oftentimes it's uncomfortable to have a direct conversation with your therapist that today I felt like we were working on your agenda, not mine. Mm. I didn't feel like I had an opportunity to tell you that despite, you know, we've been talking about this for the X number of sessions, this event happened to me that was really important and that would have been great if we had some space today to get into it. Oftentimes, you know, that first question sets the course of the direction for the therapy, unfortunately. And so being able to collect this information around how's it working for you? How are we working together? Uh, are, do you feel like I'm working towards your goals? Can start to create a safe space to have those conversations. 
despite how uncomfortable it can at times feel for the therapist themselves to either ask it or receive it. Given the, well, like, given the advantages that it offers for patients and for clinicians, what can you see have been some of the barriers? Has it been poorly implemented in the past? Like, because to, to me, the, the, the number hovering below 20% sounds like a really low adoption for something that, that should be more widespread. So what would you say has been the cause uh, or the, the uh, contributing to that? We talked, on, we talked about some of them. Administrative burden. Um, we talked about some of the belief systems, biases, and attitudes of therapists uh, that, that are practicing. We talked about some of the shortcomings in terms of training and ultimately achieving that prepared workforce that is competent and ready to practice this. But another important thing that I, we'd be uh, remiss not to mention is just looking at ultimately um, reimbursement. And unfortunately, the, the, the system that we work in today is really kind of volume-based, fee-for-service. And CPT codes ultimately um, guide much. And while there are um, codes, uh, that, you know, billing that can help pay for or at least offset some of the costs of practicing this, the reality is, just dumbing it down, uh, you get what you pay for. And we don't have the right incentives today to ultimately pay for this. And there are some big questions that um, payers, national payers, large advocacy, professional accreditation groups um, are, are, are struggling with. Because on one hand, there is a point of view that measurement-based care um, should just be a part of therapy. And so why would we pay for something that should just be happening anyways, when also kind of holding the duality of, well, by the numbers, we know it's wildly underpracticed. And so from kind of uh, a viewpoint around increasing adoption and use, you know, how might we put the right you know, re uh, incentives around the promotion of a new practice or, 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 or set of, of behaviors? We need to kind of think more broadly as a system where we're not nickel and diming every single kind of service that occurs within the course of a treatment episode and start evolving our thinking around more of a value-based or outcomes kind of oriented mentality when it comes to reimbursement. And further, um, you know, you mentioned in apps. Um, technology is a huge facilitator. And obviously there are kind of the human aspects of practice training and such adoption and use but technology can be a, a tremendous facilitator of this. And so I think that there's a, a, a point in the, in the near future where many of our interoperability challenges will be a thing of yesteryear. And looking at ways that you know, integrators across systems can help support this. But today, we have siloed data, um, inaccessible to many. Oftentimes, just data is outright missing. And so when we think about how we might leverage technology in ways that can kind of make it easier for all within the ecosystem to be working off the same source of truth, whether it's pharmacy behavioral and medical claims, clinical outcomes, you know, provider level performance, you know, the, the list goes on in, in terms of all those metrics that matter. But at the end of the day, measurement is needed, measurement is effective, um, measurement requires appropriate incentives, and we as a healthcare system need to first start by stepping into the shoes of the consumer, of the patient, of the client, and really design 
from that end user backwards while also taking into account other customers within this system, which are the most important uh, group uh, in terms of, of those that are doing the hard work of, of delivering to their best degree effective care as much as they can uh, in terms of the mental health workforce. So I imagine um, as you roll these systems out, data starts flowing in and you start looking at uh, like current clinically validated ways of like measuring care over time. I wonder, because th those, those, those methods were uh, made and were created in times before, uh, but before this paradigm. So I wonder if th this has opened up um, new ways or new, new measures, like, like what, what, what have you started measuring additionally outside of like, like the, the, the common crop of clinically validated measures? It's, I love that question. Um, wholeheartedly, quality has oftentimes been focused on sickness and efficiency. <laughs> you know, whether it's HEDIS, Medicare Five Star, a lot of the kind of formal quality metrics that oftentimes health plans and large systems care about. And we need to pivot as a field towards more of a positive psychological orientation, meaning really start measuring um, the, the things that we're really striving towards, such as wellness, such as flourishing. Harvard has been doing some really impressive work uh, around, again, kind of reimagining how we conceive of quality and um, they have uh, created not only a validated screening tool and, and a, a assessment around flourishing measures, but really getting towards you know, that end goal. Success oftentimes is set at a low bar where somebody may achieve you know, a clinically validated reduction in let's say depression symptoms, but that's such a small slice of our overall whole. And when we think about the holistic orientation of all of our lives, think of all the different domains, you know, physical health, mental health, just being some of them. But as we expand that aperture into social, spiritual, community, familial, economic, it, it starts to change the types of questions that we can ask. And I believe we need to start challenging our health systems. We need to start challenging the bodies that ultimately pay for a lot of the activities that occur within healthcare mm -hmm. to start thinking a, a bit more broadly around what is a, a effectiveness, what is quality, and really think about a, a broader view of humanity. And um, I know this is getting kind of out there, but back to it, you know, thinking about this construct of flourishing, what is living a full life? And at the end of the day, you know, a PHQ-9 score of, you know, 9 or below, 10 or below, the list goes on, it really doesn't matter at all to a patient. They have their own set of interests, goals, motivations in terms of what their hopes are out of the care process. And um, we need to keep up with really being patient-centric in terms of designing systems of measurement and quality ass assessment to, to kind of stay in step. So we've got work to do, um, and there's great work happening in that space. Well, fantastic. I, I feel like we're aligned there. There was a little secret thing that I was trying to do uh, uh, when, I, when I asked that question was to 
just break it down to the idea that we're more than just the singular numbers. And of course, like I was asking about other metrics and other things that, that, that crop up, but the whole idea is to move us uh, away from just looking at these singular metrics and uh, start learning from what we're learning, learning like how we expand our, our overall measurement picture. If I could just add one more comment, you know, back to kind of the change management aspect, Um, you know, a phrase that I wish I had, um, you know, maybe a quarter every time I've heard it, this concept of like treat by numbers and um, this cookbook medicine that there's, these kind of adages that oftentimes come up in the context of starting conversations around implementing measurement-based care. And at the end of the day, um, there's actually some, you know, truth to them. Yet, um, as we we kind of expand our view, this needs to be one part of a greater whole in terms of how care is delivered and can't be the only piece of information that is ultimately driving decision making. And so at the end of the day, I, I, I know I, I referenced the fact that, you know, evidence points to at times these validated tools being, you know, more uh, effective to, to work off of than say clinical judgment. I, I do want to just kind of reemphasize that we, we can never take out the practitioner and ultimately the, the holistic set of, of all they bring into that care process. So um, this is a tool. This is an evidence-based practice and one that should be set alongside of all of the other wonderful things that our mental health workforce is practicing every day. And uh, there, there was a question that they asked a little bit earlier today in a session is, is if you could wave a magic wand and change uh, any one thing about our healthcare system, what would it be? So th- that, that, that was very similar to, to, to the question we asked at the end of the, uh, each episode. So uh, suppose panaceas do exist and you can wave a magic wand, what would that be? Wow. Um, the power of that opportunity. We need more humanity in healthcare. You know, you and I had the opportunity earlier today at this conference to hear some really provocative um, calls to action around equity and um, and thinking about healthcare um, being again more more broad than just sick care. Um, my magic wand would be to ultimately redesign healthcare systems to really prioritize the value and humanity of of all and um and, and through that process um ultimately my hope would be that we would see many of the health disparities close um and uh and, and we as kind of a community um take steps towards uh you know the justice of health. It's really unfortunate that we have a system today that so many are ultimately left out of and opening that door of healthcare more broadly to invite all in um, is something that uh, while a bit um, audacious, I would use my my one magic (laughs) wish for well, um, the gene, if, if we, if we had the genie of the lamp, I, w- I would love to see humanity restored here, uh, for other folks who want to see humanity restored, but at the same time, want to measure our path there. How do people reach out to you? Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, feel free to, to look me up on LinkedIn. And I also serve as the vice chair of the American psychological associations, measurement based care advisory committee. And through those channels as well, please reach out. Um, this is important work. This can change the way in which we help advance 
uh, care for those that need it most, improve the practices of those that are delivering this care, but also drive more efficiency and better outcomes through the evidence-based practice of measurement-based care. Feel free to reach out. In addition to that, Dylan earlier referenced, and this has been a topic that, that's been heavy at this conference, but he referenced the structures and incentives around value-based care. We actually recently had a conversation with Antoine Williams specifically about the actions that you can take to start getting your hands dirty with value-based care initiatives. And uh, we will be looking forward to seeing you next time.